Amen. Well, we have a God who is great and worthy of all of our praise, don't we? Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Get that open open to Luke chapter 13. Uh, As I've had the opportunity over the last year and a half or two years to to preach alongside uh, Pastor Ernie and some of the other pastors here at the church, what I've I've, I've come to realize is is as we work our way through the word of God, we have an opportunity uh, to preach different types of messages. Uh, Some of those messages are messages of encouragement, just, just, just encouraging us to, to, to stand strong, to keep the faith, to continue doing what we're doing. We, we get the opportunity to, to preach messages of discipline, challenging us to personal holiness, challenging us to put off sin and put on Jesus Christ. And those fall a little bit heavy, right? And then we have an opportunity to preach simple gospel messages, messages that take us back to the basics, messages that remind us of the simplicity of the gospel. And we, we, we work hard to put the gospel into every single message here at the church. And then, and then we have the opportunity to preach what I call messages of, of mission and, and opposition, right? Unifying and, and rallying us around a singular purpose, a singular goal, a singular mission, rallying us around and unifying us in a com- against a common uh, enemy, these are storm the hill type messages. I got to preach one of those the last time I preached and, and I get to, uh, to preach one of those messages again here this morning. So I'm excited about that. A message of, of mission and opposition. Um, again, rallying around um, a common goal, encouraging us to stand against brutal opposition. This is message of, of mission and opposition. So if I get a little excited or if I get a little animated, just know that that's why, right? Like I'm trying to stir up a passion in your heart and soul for Jesus, right? I'm trying to stir up a passion in us uh, for the mission and the kingdom of God. I'm trying to stir you up in your affections and emotions so that when you walk out of those doors here this morning that you're ready to storm next week for Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, But before we dive into our scripture here this morning, what I want to do is I want to set the table. I want to give us a little bit of context. Uh, I just want to acknowledge where we've been the past few weeks. And so uh, Jesus is in the region of Galilee, and he's mainly preaching this message of repentance. And so he's in Galilee. Uh, This this is a region of, uh, of Israel. It's ruled by Herod. And he's preaching this message of repentance. And in verses one through five of chapter 13, Jesus uh, just kind of tells it to us plainly, right? Like repent or perish. Uh, and then he gives us this illustration of this, of this fig tree that is not producing fruit. Basically, he says, if this tree doesn't uh, change, if it doesn't repent over the course of this next year, if it doesn't start rep- producing fruit, then we're going to cut it down, and this tree is going to perish. And then last week, Jesus gives us another illustration of entering God's kingdom through the narrow door, which Pastor Brian laid out for us. Looks like believe, repent, and strive, right? Like, I love that. Believe, repent, and strive. This is what scholars call progressive sanctification, that process over over a season of us becoming, changing, being one thing, changing, repenting, and becoming something different, people whose lives produce fruit. 
It's a lifestyle of change that conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so what I wanna do here this morning is I wanna build off of the foundation uh, that Pastor Brian laid for us. I wanna unpack that idea of striving just a little bit further. What does it look like to strive towards our goal, to strive towards our mission, even in the face of brutal, treacherous, and cunning opposition? I love the marathon analogy that Pastor Brian shared last week, this idea of, of running this marathon, striving towards the end, running the race to, to win, right? Believing you can do it, changing your habits, changing your body so that you can compete, and then having the, the discipline to strive towards and through that race to the end. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, make it your aim, make it your purpose, make it your goal. Those who strive and endure will not be denied the end game, right? They're running to win, They're running to win. In 2012, me and a couple of buddies uh, decided kind of on a whim uh, that we were gonna run Tough Mudder. Uh, and I don't know if you know what that is, but that's basically uh, a 10-mile challenge. It's a, it's a challenge, not a race. They, they, they make you say this little thing right beforehand. It's not a race. It's a challenge, whatever. All right, 10-mile 10 10 challenge that's just filled with, with, with obstacles and, and opposition, right? Like just brutal challenge. And like, like I didn't even eat like breakfast before doing this thing. Right, like I, I, I didn't try, like, like, I, like I didn't train, I didn't eat bread, it was brutal, all right? Like I stopped at every banana stand that Tough Mudder had just to stay alive in this thing, right? Uh, but this was a brutal challenge. And I remember uh, when this, at the, at the starting line, when this thing started and they were like, all right, let's go. And then, like, like we start running like five minutes into this, uh, uh, th this challenge, right? Like I'm, I find myself up against the first obstacle, which is me diving underneath barbed wire and into this, this mud puddle, right? And, and it's sending electrical shocks through the water. And, I, and as I swim out of this thing and I get out the other side, I'm like, ah, like, like my, like it's, I got 9.8 miles left to go. My shorts are soggy, right? Like I've been electrocuted for the first time in my life. And as I look into the distance, right, I see a front end loader, like tractor, dumping massive amounts of ice into this, this hole in the ground. And as I run up to this thing, again, 9.5 miles left to go. This is not the last challenge, right? Like as I run up to this pool of water, I realize it's an ice bath. It's an ice bath with a wall in the middle of it, and so what I gotta do now is I gotta dive into the ice, which I don't know if you've ever been in an ice bath. Like, it's brutal. It is brutal and treacherous, and you don't wanna do it. I gotta dive into this thing. I gotta swim down to the bottom of this lake underneath this wall and up, the out, up out the other side. And listen to me, they're not waiting on the other side with towels. I just got 9.5 miles left to go. It's brutal, and what makes Tough mutter, such, such a challenge is you're constantly getting wet and then drying out. Getting wet and then drying out. And so your body's constantly regulating its temperature. You're constantly burning calories. You're constantly facing opposition from the other side. So I'd, I'd, I'd get wet, I'd dry out, and then I'd round a corner and realize I gotta climb this janky two-story tower just to dive off into another lake. Like it's brutal. Brutal, man, brutal opposition. Yeah. <sighs> 
There was never a moment within this whole 10 mile challenge where, where you weren't just striving to finish, right? Where you weren't just enduring to the end, right? Like it was everything that you, that, that you had to just make it to the end. And listen to me, the temptation to quit was intoxicating, right? Like I could just bail out of this worthless thing, right? And, and go grab a burger and be done with my, this thing, right? Like, but, but, but I had to strive to the end. I had to finish. I had to complete the race. And I saw tons of people bail. They, they knew that it wasn't gonna be easy, right? It's called tough mutter. They knew it was gonna be, you know, blood, sweat, tears, nasty. And, and yet they, they, they couldn't endure to the end. And what we're gonna see in our passage of scripture here this morning is that Jesus modeling for us what it looks like to strive, endure, and endure towards the mission of God, even in the face of great opposition, even to the bitter end. And the challenge for us here today is gonna be this. Are, are you willing? Are you Willing, And so my goal in all of this is to lay before you two major opponents to our mission. These are not new opponents, right? These have been, these, these have been the opponents to the mission of God since Genesis 3, right? Since the fall of man, they're not new. Uh, but, it's, but, but still, I wanna lay these two opponents before us. I want us, to look like, I want us to look at how to strive and endure through that opposition. And then I wanna leave us with this question, are you willing, which I hope that you will answer in the affirmative. I hope that you will answer in the affirmative so that when you walk through the door of eternity, the, the greeting that you receive is a well done, good and faithful servant. And so with that, Let's go ahead and read our scripture for this morning. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31. And at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And so Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. And behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father in heaven, God, we're thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful for this message. Lord, we just pray that you would use it for your glory. God, I pray that you would challenge us to strive. Um, show us what it looks like to accomplish your mission and, and your purpose, even in the face of brutal opposition. And so, um, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts here this morning, that you'd change us, that we'd walk out of those doors different than we did when we walked in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think the first thing that we can learn from Jesus here this morning is this. In our mission, we will face political and religious opposition. In our mission, we will face political and religious opposition. This is clear from our passage, verse 31. Look at who comes to Jesus. 
says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Now it's clear from the gospels that the Pharisees were constantly opposed to Jesus. They were the religious leadership of the day and they were constantly in opposition to Jesus. Even joining forces with the political leadership of the day, guys like Pontius Pilate, guys like this guy, Herod, in order to get rid of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, it's the Pharisees that carry Herod's death threat to Jesus. Both of these forces, the religious elite of the day and the political power of the day, they want Jesus gone. And listen to me, look at me, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, right? Like in the 2000 years since Jesus walked this earth, nothing has changed. There's still religious and political opposition to the gospel of Jesus, to the kingdom of God. Here's why. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is not compatible with the kingdoms of men. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is not compatible with the kingdoms of men. And this is exactly what political and religious opposition is. It's it's the political and the religious kingdoms of men just colliding with the everlasting kingdom of God. And so we face political opposition. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage right here. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God does not work for Herod, right? It doesn't work for Herod. The kingdom of God does not allow Herod to engage in the sexual immorality that he's so fond of. That's why he murdered John the Baptist, right? Kingdom of God doesn't allow Herod to do whatever he wants to do. The kingdom of God doesn't allow Herod to live his truth. The kingdom of God doesn't allow Herod to be king. It doesn't allow Herod to be God. It robs him of his authority. It robs him of his power. It robs him of his control. It robs him of his influence, stature and position. And for those reasons, Jesus has to go. The gospel has to go. The kingdom of God must be stopped at all costs. And so the death threat. Look at me. Every single kingdom that man builds stands in opposition to the kingdom of God every one of them, they all stand in opposition to the kingdom of God. They're all self-focused. They're all self-serving. They're all self-seeking. They don't acknowledge God. They don't bow down to God. They don't recognize him as sovereign and they will look to unseat him from his position of authority. This means that as long as you and I strive towards the mission of God, right? What what is our mission? To make it easier for people to know Jesus and to lead them into a growing relationship with him. As long as we strive towards that mission to build that kingdom, we will face furious political opposition. The apostle John describes it as a beast in Revelation 13, says this, who would I be if I didn't bring Revelation into this? 
right? He says this, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, rising out of the chaos, and the people of the earth worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Who can fight against it? Listen, there will come a day whether it's tomorrow or a week from now or five years from now or 10 years from now or 25 years, there will come a day where the, religion, where, where the political opposition to the kingdom of God will be so fierce that you and I will ask the question, who can stand? Who can fight against it? Spoiler alert, the people of God can. The people of God can. John goes on. This beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written in the, before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. What this passage is saying is that this political opposition is not relegated to one nation or one political uh, administration. It exists across all all time, across all generation, across every nation, every tribe, every people, because everyone has man-made kingdoms. There's never a moment when we are not faced with this type of opposition, this political opposition, where the kingdom of man is not just colliding with the kingdom of God. So we will face furious political opposition in our pursuit of the kingdom. We'll also face religious opposition. We'll also face religious opposition. We see that here in the text as well. See, it's the Pharisees that carry this death threat from Herod to Jesus. See, these guys are, are unified in their hatred for Jesus for many of the same reasons that Herod hates Jesus. See, Jesus, his gospel, his kingdom, he is a threat to their authority, their power, their control, their pride, their influence, their comfort, their image. These guys have used religion as a way to get rich, gain influence, gain authority, and gain control to build a name and an image for themselves and not God. They hold positions of great honor and presence among the people. Ultimately, they've used religion in order to build a kingdom for themselves. And listen, Jesus stands opposed. He, he stands opposed to all of that. He stands as a threat to the religious leadership of the day, his day and our day. And so Jesus has to go. The gospel has to go. The kingdom of God must be stopped at all context or, or at all costs. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is not compatible with man-centered, man-made, and man-focused religion. Ultimately, this is religion that stands, religion that stands opposed to our mission is religion that softens truth and hardens grace. Religious opposition to the mission of God is religion that softens truth and hardens grace. John goes on to describe this opposition like this, Revelation 13. Then I saw another beast, this time rising up out of the earth. 
And it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. Notice how this beast looks like Jesus, but sounds like the devil. Notice how this beast looks like a lamb, but it talks like a dragon. Looks life-giving on the outside, but inside it's devoid of the gospel and brings only death. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Religion that softens truth. We see this when Christians try to make the, the word of God more palatable to the world around us. And so we deny the need for repentance. We deny the need to pursue holiness, to put off sin and put on Jesus. This is, this is religion that tells us that all paths lead to salvation, even though the gospel is explicit. There's one way to salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. This is religion that would tell us that God accepts the worship of all religions. These type of religious leadership would tell us that any other line of thinking is bigoted and outdated. Ultimately, this type of religion denies the life-saving, life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Reasonings like these come from the mouth of this beast. The reality is that truth is truth and it's not always easy to hear. Truth is truth and it's not always easy to hear, right? The reality is that a faith that isn't changing us can't save us. A faith that isn't changing us can't save us. There's also another type of opposition, religious opposition that we'll face as we strive towards our mission. That's this, religion that hardens grace. Religion that hardens grace. This type of religion would claim to believe in the gospel, but yet you have to work to achieve your salvation. By their words and actions, these guys deny the life-changing grace of God. This is religion that would have you pull yourselves into heaven by your bootstraps, by sheer will and determination, just white-knuckle behavior change. And, and then when you walk through those doors to eternity, Jesus is gonna look at your good works and say, well, it outweighs the bad, so sure, come on in. That is a lie. This is religion that requires perfect and immediate obedience to the law because this is what is gonna keep you from burning in hell for all eternity. This is religion that's solely focused on the fact that your sin is condemning you to hell without ever disclosing the fact that Jesus paid for all of that and offers you eternal life instead. All of this comes straight from the mouth of the dragon, it looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. Wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, we will face furious political and religious opposition as we pursue our mission. And in the face of all of this opposition, John goes on to strengthen us with this, Revelation 14, 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep his commandments and their faith in Jesus. The reality is that as we pursue our mission, we will face opposition. But there's another thing that we can learn from Jesus in this passage, and this one's way better, and that's this, that even in the face of opposition, we can and we must strive toward our mission. Look at verse 32. He says this, 
Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. I love the conviction of Jesus right here. I love this. Nothing's gonna stop him from accomplishing his mission. Nothing's gonna stand opposed to his purpose. Nothing's gonna thwart the plan and will of God himself, come what may. So he says this, you go tell that beast, tell that fox that I'm gonna continue to cast out demons. I'm gonna continue to heal the sick. And then when I'm done, I'm gonna march in Jerusalem. I'm gonna gonna storm that cross. I'm gonna purchase salvation for God's people. And not even death is gonna stop me. Nothing stands opposed, right? That's epic, right? That is epic. Can you imagine what would happen if you and I pursued this, stepped into this kind of Christ-likeness? Right? Can you imagine how effective we would be for the kingdom of God if we weren't, if we weren't afraid of dying? Right? Jesus is just like, yeah, you're gonna kill me? Let's go, man. Can you imagine how effective for the kingdom of God we would be if we weren't afraid to lose our rights, privileges, and comforts? Can you imagine if we could say, I love this. Can you imagine if we could say alongside the apostle Paul, he says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm talking like a madman. I love this. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He says, who's weak and I ain't weak, right? Who's weak and I ain't weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I gotta boast, I'm gonna boast in the things that show my weakness. Can you imagine if we were that? Right, like you can't kill that guy. Like like that guy, that's amazing, right? Like imagine what we would be if we could live this out, this kind of church, man. I think it was John Wesley that said, give me a hundred men who care nothing, about the, nothing but the gospel and fear n- nothing. And we, we'll storm the gates of hell and we'll build the kingdom right here. So how do we do this? How, how do we strive towards this mission? Go ahead, take a breath. <laughs> it's okay. How do we strive towards our mission, even in the face of opposition? I think we gotta cultivate a kingdom mindset. We gotta cultivate a kingdom mindset, and we do this by expecting the opposition. I know this sounds redundant considering what I just said, but this is critical. Expectation is everything. I can tell you that you're gonna face opposition, and you can nod with me in agreement. 
But if you aren't expecting it, then you're gonna get hammered. We have to expect the opposition. If I'm just being real with you, I think, I think, I think more often than not, we expect blessings and fairy tales and not brutal warfare. Right? We expect rainbows and unicorns, not bullets. And so what happens is we get blindsided. We're, we're expecting this beautiful life, this house on the hill, the white picket fence, a beautiful life, a beautiful wife, perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect little dog in the yard. If we're expecting that and not brutal warfare, we're gonna get beat. We have to expect opposition. If we're not, we're gonna get disenchanted. We're gonna feel like God hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain. He hasn't lived up to our expectations, even though he's clearly told us that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever watched Animal Planet. Lambs aren't on the top of the list, man, right? Like, check it out sometime. He's clearly showed us what this life is about through his apostles, that it's shipwrecks, it's stranded at sea, it's hunger and thirst, it's danger on every side, it's hurtling over, over obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in, in pursuit of the prized eternal life. If I approach Tough Mudder thinking it's gonna be photo shoots and a party with my friends, right, I'll probably die there. But if I approach it with the mindset of I'm gonna, I'm gonna endure, I'm not gonna quit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this course. Six miles into Tough Mudder, there's this obstacle, it's, a, it's, it's this peaked monkey bars over this giant lake, right? And I'm, I'm like, all right, let's do it, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm doing the monkey bar thing, right? And I'm going and my calves seize up and I drop into the lake, and I gotta somehow figure out how to swim, not being able to use my legs to the edge of this lake. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and my calves are just seizing up. Like, they're just, they're, just, they're just going nuts. And my buddies are like, oh, man, he's out. And then they left me. And I had to run the rest of the four miles by myself. If I don't have the mindset of strive and endure, I ain't finishing that race, right? It's exactly this type of mindset that we need if we're gonna make it easier for people to know Jesus and lead them into a growing relationship with him. Renewing our minds is imperative. Having a kingdom mindset is imperative. Romans 12, two reminds us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is a kingdom mindset that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit as you spend time in prayer in the word of God. So we need to cultivate a kingdom mindset. We also need to remember the end game. 
We need to remember the end game. Listen, Tough Mudder would not have been Tough Mudder without all of the obstacles and opposition along the way. And yet, without those obstacles, without the brutal environment, without the pain and suffering, without the mud, blood, sweat, and tears, without being pushed to my physical, mental, and emotional limits, without the majestic mountaintop moments and sheer joy of triumph, it would not have been worth the finish. This life, this life on mission to make disciples, to advance God's kingdom, to make it easier for people to know Jesus, to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus, it's not an easy life. Look at me, it's not an easy life. We, we exist to make it easier, uh, but, but it's not easy, right? It's a, it's a narrow path that leads to a narrow door and that path is rugged and treacherous. It's brutal opposition, brutal challenges. But the end game, the end game is glorious, right? The end game is, is, is glorious. The end game is eternal life with God. The end game is rest that you've never experienced. The end game is peace like you've never known it. The end game full of hope and wonder. The glory of God and his majesty, that's the end. That's the finish line. It's worth everything. Listen to me, it's worth everything. We know this because at 33 years old, that's my age, Jesus marched into Jerusalem to the cross it compelled him to go to the cross to purchase it for you. That's how glorious it is. You don't die for something that ain't worth anything. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we, have, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's with all those others who have gone before us, who have obtained eternal life. This is the cloud of witnesses. He says, let us, because we were surrounded by these guys, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the joy, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus shows us what it looks like to strive and endure, to stand firm on God's good plan, even in the midst of brutal opposition. even in the face of death. So here's the question for all of us here this morning. Are you willing? Are you willing? What's at stake if we don't endure to the end? What's at stake if we don't stand firm, if we give in to the opposition and allow it to dictate our lives and our mission? Look back at verse 34 and 35, Luke 13. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
for those who are willing to be used by God and to endure to the end, there's great hope. There is there's great hope. Look, this, this, this hope, this great hope, this is what I hope for you, for every single one of you. We see the inexhaustible love of Jesus Christ for his people on display in this passage. You're telling me that all I have to do is be willing and he's gonna gather you up underneath his wings, his pinions? He's, he's gonna protect you? He's gonna, he's gonna guide you, uh, help you navigate through the fire, the obstacles and the opposition of this world? All I gotta do is be willing? Man, I pray that you don't deny that offer. I pray that you do not deny that offer. Listen to me, look at me. I love you. Do not walk out of those doors rebellious, stubborn, and hard-hearted. The offer's yours. Eternal life is yours right now. It's yours if you just grab it. Just grab hold of it and not let go. The sober reality of this text is that not all are willing. Not all are willing. You know that. I know that, God knows that, text knows that. We're just here to extend the offer to you, to invite you to come with us, man. As we, as we, as we look to the end, the end game, and we're charging forward, the invitation is to just come with us, man. Like, what are you, what are you waiting, come with us. It is brutal, it's treacherous, but it is without Jesus. So, so, so just come with us as we storm the gates of hell and we pursue the kingdom of God. Come what may. Amen. Well, I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. Uh, there's gonna be people underneath both of these screens and in the back who would love to pray with you. And they'd love to have that conversation with you. If, if, if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring up in your heart, you wanna, yeah, you wanna pursue this life. These guys would love to have that conversation with you. I, I pray uh, that you take advantage of that opportunity here this morning. Let me pray for us. <sighs> Father in heaven, God, you are so good. Lord, you are so faithful. God, we're just so thankful, Lord, that, that you've shown us what it looks like to strive in the midst of opposition. And God, that you, you don't leave us to do this in our own power, but Lord, but you, you give us your spirit to make this possible. And God, I pray for everyone here listening to this and online, God, Lord, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd stir up our heart, our passions for you. God, that we would leave this place changed, different. God, for your glory, God, for your honor, for the advancement of your kingdom, God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.